Hey there, everyone. Welcome to the podcast of Tower Hill Church. This is Pastor Jason. Well, I need to start off by apologizing that this podcast has taken so long uh, from two Sundays ago to, uh, to get to you, but we were having some technical problems, and then I was away in Colorado for mission training uh, for a few days. As you know, many of you know, I do work for Group Work Camps, which is a youth ministry organization that does mission trips all over the country, and actually they do some trips internationally as well. It's the organization that we use in our church when our kids go on a mission trip. This year, they're going to Chillicothe, Ohio uh, to do that. And uh, every time I go to Colorado, I am just in awe of God. It's not hard to do when you're in the Rockies, (laughs) but it's a little harder in your everyday life. But my goodness, uh, one of my favorite things to do is to go up to my favorite Starbucks in the world, you coffee lovers and addicts out there will totally appreciate this. The Starbucks in Estes Park, uh, the Big Thompson River runs right through the back of the Starbucks, essentially. So uh, if you've ever been to Estes Park, they have a like a river walk that goes through the city. So the, the river winds through the city. And so you sit on the back porch of the Starbucks and just look at the river and I get my journal out. And so every time I go to Colorado to do training uh, with group, I take the extra half hour or so drive up to Estes Park and enjoy that. That Starbucks, man, I look forward to that every year. Today's installment of the sermon series is about the story of Saul. Saul, who had a name-changing and life-changing event on the road to Damascus as he was going to persecute and round up all those followers of Jesus, he had a completely crazy thing happen to him where Jesus showed up and redirected his course. What's fascinating about this story to me is about Saul, this Pharisee who is uh, believing that he is doing God's work. He is good at it. He's a rising star, rising young star among the Pharisees. And that God would use everything that he was and who he was and leverage that to send the church out, literally out into the world, just like Acts chapter 1 promised that they would be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Well, it's because of Saul, who became Paul, that that was even possible. And I love this because it really draws out this whole idea that God uses who we are to bring us into who we should be or who we could be or who he wants us to be in order to achieve his work. So um, I hope you enjoy this message and that you have a great week and we'll see you real soon. Today we're talking about our past. Now, I know that can be a touchy subject, our past. You know, it's funny when I'm sharing the past with people, I've carefully curated the images that I want them to see, right? Like I, I maybe invite someone over to your house and, and you start looking, you get out the old photo albums, maybe it's somebody that you're reminiscing with and you start looking through and you find like all those fashion styles that you kind of want to forget about but you have a good laugh about. Like I think my sins are well documented, okay? My sins are well documented. Yes, the rolled jeans, the tight roll of the jeans. It was the 1980s, man. It was, it was members-only jackets. Like, that was the thing. That was the deal. Like, 
And, and I'm sure that, now listen, I know you've had your own little moments. Like maybe you had hair like this guy. All right? Flock of seagulls, anyone? Okay, maybe. Wrong, wrong generation. Or maybe, maybe you look back there and you have like some awkward family photos. Like this is my favorite. There's a lot going on here. There's a lot going on. I actually, <laughs> this photo would be like a badge of honor. Maybe hang it over the mantle. Because there's so much going on there, it's just glorious. But listen, we all have those, those things that maybe, how many of you growing up, now I asked this at the first service, I'd love to see, did anybody ever at any time, raise your hand if this is true, did you ever have a beehive hairdo? Did I see a hand go up in the back? Oh, no, and now you're all embarrassed. Yes! We have at least two people that, who've admitted they had beehives. And then what was the guy thing where it's like, you take the gel and you're combing it straight back, you know, like, you're like grease? A ducktail? How many of you had, had that hairstyle at one point? Yep. Yeah, I love It's okay. We're all friends here. That's right. We're not on video. It, you're, you're in a safe place. Circle of trust. So... Yeah, we all have these little, these fat, and we look back at those pictures of our lives, and we, we have a good laugh. We laugh about, oh, yeah, you know, it's crazy. I would never, everybody's got, like, the naked baby in the bathtub picture, right? Everybody's got that picture somewhere in the photo albums. But I think if our life is like a photo album, if life is like all the pictures that we have on display, that there are some pictures that we put out in front, and we're okay if everybody sees those, but we have other pictures that maybe they're not something that we laugh at. Maybe there's something that we have a lot of shame about or a lot of regret about or a lot of guilt. Those pictures don't come out. Those pictures we just are perfectly happy keeping on the shelf or in the garbage. We just want to get rid of them. We want anybody to know about those things. And here's the thing with those pictures in our lives is that those things that are a source of shame, we, th- we think that we've buried, but we deal with their ghosts every day. We think we put them in the past, and yet somehow they are coming back up in our present. I think what's worse is that for some of you, you may feel like, hey, listen, I can't tell you about those things because you would disqualify me, <laughs> right? You would... If you knew about my past, then I, I really couldn't be a follower of Jesus. I really couldn't be a part of this church. I couldn't be a, a follower of Jesus. Or, or you think, well, maybe God's already disqualified you because of your past. You say, yeah, you know, I'll come to church and I'll kind of do what I can, but I'm, I got too much baggage. I got too many pictures in my past that I can't let anyone see. And God's already disqualified me. For those who feel that way, for those who've experienced that in your life, or maybe there's a part of you that feels something like that, I want you to consider this question. Do you think that that's what God wants for you? To feel completely trapped by the shame and guilt of your past so that you cannot move forward? Of course not. But we do it. We do it all the time. Today we're going to see somebody's story in Scripture. And I think the Lord gave us this story to show us that if we think we've been disqualified, we're wrong. 
Because there's somebody in the Bible named Saul. Saul, who became Paul, who at one time was a persecutor and murderer of Christians. Get your head around that a minute just for this point. Do any of you feel like you have done something worse in your past than persecuting and murdering Christians? All right, if you have, like, okay. You, you got me. You got me that. But chances are you do not feel you've done that bad against God. And yet, you're acting as if you have just done, made too many mistakes for God to ever possibly use you. And then we get the story of Saul. We last saw last week that Saul was there at the stoning of Stephen. And we get one little sentence at the end of that that says volumes about who Saul was. And that's verse, that's eight, chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of their killing him. Who was this guy? We know a bit about what he became. But we don't always know a lot about what he was. So I want to paint for you a picture, a picture of Saul's past. There's actually a, a cave drawing uh, from the year 450. You want to put that next slide up? It's a cave drawing of Paul, which I thought was really interesting and a way of getting across this idea of a picture that we have from our past. But who was Saul and what was he all about? Well, Saul was a Pharisee who was a teacher of the law. He was like a lawyer for God. The idea was to hold everybody accountable to the law. And Pharisees were known for their zeal for God. What does that mean? They didn't just see religious participation as a tradition. They saw it as this has to do with everyday life. We are zealous for following God. And moreover, they thought that that zealousness meant you had to strictly follow the rules, strictly follow the law as a way of honoring God. And, and the law, re remember, wasn't just the Ten Commandments. It was all the rabbinical interpretations of the law that led to all sorts of laws, hundreds of laws, on how they ought to live and behave. Now, to be a Pharisee, you had to be the best and the brightest. You had to be really smart. Just like nowadays, where somebody might tell you, you know, if you're not book smart, you better go learn a trade, right? Go, go learn to do something. If, or, you know, if college isn't for you, learn a trade, and you'll do quite well, but, but know that, you know. Back in Jesus' day, it was even more so that, in that uh, if you weren't the best and the brightest, you stopped going to school. Like, they just said, okay, go learn a trade. And then the very best and the brightest followers of God, then they would graduate or they would study under a rabbi. And eventually, if they were good enough, they could become uh, a leader, a teacher of the law, a Pharisee, for example. A lot of what we get of Paul's pre-Christian life when he went by Saul, we get from Paul himself, from other books in the New Testament where he talks about this previous life that he lived. One place is Galatians chapter 1. I'll read that for you now. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism and how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He was, in a lot of ways, 
Everybody ever read The Firm by John Grisham? If you remember The Firm, remember like the hotshot lawyer who's being courted by the, by the law firm? It, Saul was the hotshot young lawyer. He was a rising star amongst the Pharisees. And he was asked to go out and to find these followers of the way, as it was called. Take them prisoner and take them to Jerusalem. And I think the part that's really humbling and scary is that Saul thought he was doing God's will and he was doing the opposite. And that should give us all pause just to be careful about when we think that we're doing God's will. A little interlude music. That's all right, we're all back. So let's look at Saul's story. And we're going to begin with uh, verse 9, chapter 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he was on his way to Damascus. He's about to round up any of the followers and take him prisoners. That was his whole job, and he was good at it. He was smart. He knew what to pin them on. And he was very zealous for his job. All right, let's keep going. Verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Let's... Just pause for a moment on that idea. I find it really fascinating the way that Jesus deals with Saul in this moment. Blinding light gets his attention. Who is it? This is Jesus, the one you're persecuting. But then it wasn't, okay, now go tell everybody that that I'm real and I'm the Lord. No, no, no. Go into the town. Go to where you were going. You were already going to Damascus. Go to Damascus, and then you'll be told what to do. Right from the beginning, right from the very first moment that Jesus got Saul's attention, he was asking him to trust him. He was asking him to trust him right from the beginning. Go, and then you'll find out what you're to do. We'll come back to that. Then men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. I love the parallel construction of these verses. So we get, he's calling out to Saul, the persecutor of the church. 
Who is it? It's Jesus. He calls out to the follower of Jesus. Who is it? You know, this is, who is it? Oh, it's Jesus. Oh, yes, Lord. Right? He gets it right away. He doesn't even have to ask. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. But their responses to then what God asked them to do are quite different. The first response, he tells, he tells Saul what? Go into Damascus, and there I'm going to tell you what to do. And so that's what he does. But he, to the Christian, to the follower of Jesus, he gets it as Jesus right away. But watch what happens when he asks him to go do something. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So, so God says, go. He's already gotten a vision of what you're to do. And Ananias is like, hang on, quick little thing here, not sure if you knew this. Saul is a persecutor of Christians, and we know he's coming, and he's coming to round us up, put us in prison. We know that he, he was standing there at the stoning of Stephen, and he approved. That could happen to us. Just teensy little problem, Lord. Did you know? We do this with God all the time. It's like God, God asks you to do something. You feel like you know, and you're like, okay, but I don't know how this is going to work out like five steps from now. So I better not, I better not do it. The Lord's like, you know, you need to go do this and go here, and I'm going to tell you more as you go. Yeah, yeah, but how's this going to work out in 10 years? If I make this this now, what's going to happen in 10 years? God, just so you know, not sure you know about this, I'm not so good at, you know, fill in the blank. We do that with God all the time. And it's funny that this Saul, the persecutor of Jesus, is the one who just doesn't argue and goes. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. That's a whole sermon in that verse. We're just going to have to keep going. 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Now, can you just imagine what this moment must have been like for Ananias? Going up to the house, he knows Saul's in there. He knows Saul's in there. It's quite possible this Saul is not who he's been led to believe, that he's had some kind of change of heart or he's not going to hurt him, but the very real danger that Saul was going to take him away. I mean, imagine what he was feeling on the inside and he's trusting God as he goes to this house of this infamous Pharisee who he's probably been hiding from and told everybody to take cover, he's coming. And he knocks on the door. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Hello? Um, excuse me, is there Saul, like, anywhere? You know, like, what, what, was, what was he feeling? What was going on? What was happening? And, and I love, he doesn't even talk. He just does the vision. He doesn't even talk in this. He goes, he goes right to it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, 
the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about this all throughout the book of Acts. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, even you, persecutor of the church. And of course, this whole thing with darkness and not seeing and then being able to see, it was all a spiritual metaphor, that the point that he was getting across, that he wanted Paul to see the truth, to see, to leave the darkness behind and to see, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So all of a sudden, God takes this hotshot young lawyer and transforms him. And his whole purpose from going to Damascus was to persecute Christians. He ends up having fellowship with them and proving that Jesus is the Messiah. A lot changed on his way to Damascus. And he had a whole transformation. And when this happens, maybe some of you have experienced this, where you feel like God did something to you in your life, and you're just not the person that you once were. And some people refer to it as like a spiritual high, where you feel like you're close to God, maybe closer than you'd ever been in your life. And whenever this happens... There's always something that happens right after that. You then are challenged on what? The person you once were. Somebody from your past comes rolling up into your life. Somebody reminds you of the shame and guilt you ought to be feeling about your past. And what happens is we're feeling so close to God and all of a sudden we're challenged. Wait, 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 that's not who you are. I know you. You're that guy that did this with me, you know. You're the... You're the woman who did that. Come on, that's not you. And then what happens is we have a tendency to want to just shrink back down into our little corner. Say, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. That's not me. I can't do that. After all, you've seen the pictures. You know. You know what I've done. You see... It's at our times when we feel closest to God that spiritual attack happens. And you know me well enough to know I'm not the kind of person that says every time I trip, it's because the devil stuck his foot out. I'm just not like that. I don't give him that much credit. Usually I trip just fine on my own. But there is a spiritual reality that darkness is always trying to overtake the light. When we feel close to God, that's sometimes when we're most vulnerable about our past. All those ghosts come back, like the ghosts of Christmas past. They just keep on giving. And if we let them, they'll suffocate what God is trying to do in us. 
This happened with Saul. Watch what happens. He has this amazing experience. He's having fellowship with these Christians. And then watch what happens. Verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. I mean, imagine what he was feeling. His life had changed. He had started work. And he comes back and they were like, no, 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 we know who you are. Thankfully, Saul didn't retreat into his own personal cave. But he kept pushing through. You know how he did it? Other Christians. This is why church communities are so vitally important. Because we're supposed to help each other, remind each other who we are now, who we are in Jesus Christ, not who we were. And so watch what happens. But Barnabas, verse 27, Barnabas, get some love here. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And so you might be questioning in your life, yeah, but can God use me? Say, so you know what? He used Saul. Yeah, but you, don't, you haven't seen the pictures that I'm hiding. You know what I found? This is, this is the truth. This is what I found in my life. That God often wants to use those pictures I don't want anyone to see to make a difference in someone else's life. Our places of deepest hurt and deepest shame become our greatest power for sharing the gospel. Because we can understand what it's like to feel that guilt and shame and the hope of being forgiven. You are not disqualified. Despite what people have told you, despite what you might think, you are empowered. There was that great uh, Super Bowl commercial with uh, the high school yearbook. Do you remember this commercial? Maybe you've seen this with a bunch of famous people. It's hilarious, right, because it's showing how they were kind of goofy, and maybe these are pictures in their past that they wouldn't necessarily like everyone to see. But the idea was, is we all know what they've become. They've broken past that. Because here's the thing. What, what that commercial talks about is a spiritual truth, that our past does not define us. It shapes us, but it doesn't have to define us. And I think this is the message that the Lord wants to give us. He's, our past has shaped us. But we are more than the sum parts of our past. He wants to use who we are to make us what he wants us to become. God wants to use who you are and shape you into what he wants you to become. So here's what we learned from Paul, I think, just in closing. I think we learned at least three things, at least three things for today. The first is that God wants you to see. God wants you to see. On your way to Damascus, on your way in your life, he wants you to see things for what they really are. He wants you to know what darkness is and what light is and that there is a difference. He wants you to know that whatever the plans are that you have for your life, his plans are so much better. You might be going to Damascus to persecute, and he wants you to go there to share the gospel. If you know what I mean. He might have your path in a certain direction, but he might want to change your heart while you're on that direction. Because he has a different purpose for you than you had imagined. God wants you to see. The next is God wants you to trust him. 
He wants this so badly. He wants you to trust him. But it's not going to work without trust. None of it, by the way. He wants you to develop such a trust in him that you'll be willing to say, okay, I'll do that. I don't know how it's going to turn out. But I'm going to trust. Hence, faith. If you knew how everything was going to turn out, that wouldn't be faith. And by the way, what in 10 years turned out like you thought it would? So you might as well trust God. The third, God wants to show you a new picture. He wants you to know that you are his chosen instrument. He wants to show you that picture. And you, and you, you might be tempted to say, yeah, but look at all these other pictures. God's like, yeah, I know. I've forgiven those things. Here's a new picture. And he puts up a picture of you, your most joyful your most fulfilled, your most purpose-fueled self. That's my picture for you. A picture that looks more and more like my son, Jesus Christ. I don't see all of your mistakes. I see my forgiveness. And I've seen your purpose. I have a vision for you, and I want the scales to fall from your eyes. And what happened with Paul? Well, Paul's responsible for two-thirds of the New Testament. He gets to a certain point where he goes by the name Paul to show how different he is. He's credited with probably around 20 churches, scholars believe. Changed the whole face of the Middle East. Changed the entire world. We are all believers in Jesus because of what Paul did. Paul, of all people, was the fulfillment of Jesus' promise from Acts chapter 1. You're going to go into all the world, to the very ends of the earth. Paul, the persecutor, God's chosen instrument. What if this week, every time you feel that little doubt creep into your head about who you are or about your past, All you do is say this. I'm God's chosen instrument because he told me so. I'm good enough. I am. Because he made me that way. It's because of what the Holy Spirit did in me. And we start believing that picture. And we let that picture drive us until the whole world hears